welcome to Rippercast, your podcast on the Whitechapel murders. This is episode 21, Jack in the Docks, with Jana Oliver, author of the Time Rover series, including the book Sojourn, Philip Hutchison, co-author of The London of Jack the Ripper, and John Bennett, author of the upcoming book E1, A Journey Through Whitechapel and Spitalfields Past and Present. I'm Jonathan Mangus, and also joining us today is Paul Begg, Ali Ryder, and Mike Covell. Paul, um, a few days after opening day, the museum hosted a discussion event titled Who Was Jack the Ripper? featuring yourself, Stuart Evans, and Robin O'Dell. Uh, how did this come about, and could you kind of describe what took place at that? Yes, it was uh, uh, how what the thinking behind it was, I don't know, because I was just invited. Um, I think Adam Wood had, uh, had some input uh, in the organization of, of all that, that sort of thing. Um, and he um, put my name forward to, to be one of the speakers. And I'd already been an advisor to the exhibition some two years ago when it, um, when it was first mooted. Keith Skinner and I went along and had a meeting uh, with, the, with the Museum of London. We've, we advised at various times. So um, that's probably why I, how I, I got to be involved. Um, and basically what happened was that uh, they have a very good conference room there and we basically just turned up and we were introduced, stood at a podium and, uh, and gave our talks. Um, I think uh, Stuart's basically was, was about his time in Ripperology. It wasn't so much about who was Jack the Ripper. Um, Robin did a, a, a basic uh, overview of the case, and uh, as indeed did I. Um, I was a little more specific, uh, I think, in, in what I was saying in, in subject areas, um, basically trying to point out that the attitudes to suspects, the ways in which uh, suspects had changed over the years and how very often they reflected uh, the time and uh, how in many cases it was an effort to try and, or I put forward the, the, the suggestion that uh, many of the theories attempted to give some sort of shape and form to the, to the Ripper so that people were less frightened of this this nameless thing that, that uh, lurked in the shadows, my famed lurker in the shadows uh, theory. And had you, um, I, I assume, before you gave your presentation, you you went through and saw the exhibit, or did were, did you uh, see the, the exhibit prior to um, that night? Uh, I think it was May seventeenth that you gave your talk. Yeah, no, I'd seen it uh, prior, prior to that because uh, those of us who'd been involved with the exhibition in, in various ways, and, uh, and indeed I, I assume a whole load of uh, other people who were guests of the museum were invited to, uh, to, to a, um, a pre-opening showing of, uh, of the exhibition itself uh, with, with little canapes and, uh, and drinks and so forth, which was <laughs> rather nice. Um, and it's uh, yes, yeah, so so I'd, I'd I'd seen the exhibition at that at that time, but I'd also been responsible for uh, with Keith for um, doing the the, ex the the cards, each of the cards that accompany the exhibit. So 
I knew what was going to be there as well. Oh, so you you actually helped had a hand in in some of the um, the, the description cards that were placed in. That's right. Yes, I mean they were keen to make sure that uh, the description cards were accurate, and so we, uh, Keith and myself, were sort of brought in to to do that for them. So any errors in the in the description cards, uh, we'll keep quiet about, and and they're all <laughs> all Keith's or mine. <laughs> they're all Keith's, really. I mean, I didn't make. <laughs> um. Well, okay. Uh, let's um, get some uh, reviews of the exhibit. Um, who wants to go first? Any volunteers? I'll let John go first because I'm feeling very generous. Okay. Oh me, John oh, Bennett. Right. You've you've been, you've been a couple of, you've been a couple of times. Yes, uh, I have. Uh, uh, tell us what you think. It's funny. Um, I mean, I, I went there to see it on the morning uh, before the talk that you've just been talking about and uh it was strange because i sort of it was a lot to take in and it's a bit like uh when you watch uh, a film or read a book where you're not quite sure of the plot but you know you enjoyed it and uh it's like one of those sort of complicated quentin tarantino films or something like that with a sort of very difficult plot and you think well i enjoyed it but i'm not quite sure what happened so and when you see it again then things start falling into place, and that's what happened. I, I I went first time on my own, and I bumped into a few people from the Whitechapel Society and things like that. And I sort of came out thinking, I can't put a finger on on it. It was good, and there was lots of things in there that I was pleased to see and such like. Um, but there'd been a big discussion uh, after my first visit um, about various issues uh, that people think there was not enough of x and not enough of y or whatever it was and i I went second time with my father who's a bit of a sort of a ripper buff himself um not like us but he he would have enjoyed it and i wanted to see what it would be like just to take someone who who's got a bit more of the man and the man in the street about him and he came out and said yeah yeah it was all right you know it was but um one thing i did sort of notice when i went round again and there was that big discussion about how the victims were treated um, going around second time, I sort of thought, well, yeah, they could have had a little bit more about just about the lives of the victims. I know they had a thing at the end, um, a little display with the photographs in it, and uh, with a booklet that had a little bit about them. But just as you went round, I felt sometimes it sort of got a bit lost. The victim side of it got a bit lost amongst all the exhibits. But um, I mean, I'll probably come up with some more things as we as we go on. But I came out thinking, yes. You know, it, it was successful, and, and like Stuart Evans said on the casebook board, you know, what, what do we expect from a, you know, an exhibition on Jack the Ripper? It's quite a difficult thing. It, a, an exhibition on Jack the Ripper itself, I felt probably would never happen. There would be too many arguments, you know, in terms of taste or whatever. You know, why why do you want an exhibition on a serial killer? An exhibition on the East End on its own would, would be fine but where do you start where do you finish and i thought to bring the two together puts a sort of a time frame on an era and a lot of us are interested in the east end as as well as jack the ripper as well and the two sort of go together but then again there's so much in terms of jack the ripper and there's so much in terms of the east end at that time so there was a lot to fit in and i think it it, it was pretty much successful on on the whole it was it was probably a tough call 
to come up with something that would certainly keep us lot happy. Um, I'm sure the, I'm sure the man in the street came away thinking, "Ooh, yeah, good." But um, yeah, I sort of thought it was successful in the end. And you liked it better the second time you went than the. Well, yes, because second second time I actually saw a few things in there that I missed first time. I mean, so I've suddenly found that people were saying, "Oh, they've got Abilene's cane in there," and I thought, "Oh." I didn't see that, you know, so I, feel, I feel like a right idiot. Um, so, yeah, I was able to sort of take in more things and, and get a more a better sort of feel of how the exhibition progressed. There was a few things in there I thought, well, what's what's that doing there? You know, um, but... There's a stuff, yeah, stuff bloodhound spring to mind. Um, sort of. Uh, I think it was a painting, of a, a painting of a minotaur was the one that I wasn't quite... Yeah. Uh, Sims, but... Uh, yeah, just a couple of things when they were sort of um, trying to outline what the East End was like. And I think people have said, um, you know, some sort of little recreation of a scene or a room, of an East End room at the time, you know, like you read about in the Nickel or um, uh, the, you know, the sort of philanthropists who've gone round and done reports on how people were living a little sort of, I mean, it'd probably be ghastly to look at, but it would give people a sort of a bit more of an immediate um idea of the conditions at the time and just little recreations of things like that but certainly where there was actual things like the fossey jaw and stuff about the match girl strike which was quite important you know in 1888 mm. things like that i thought ah you know that that's that's important to the whole east end at the time uh the, the stuff about the ripper i thought you know was was really good the things they included there the, the various artifacts and the reports so um but yeah, I think I think it sort of worked on the whole, um, but there were a few wobbly bits in it, as they say, and not not just the bloodhound. <laughs> now um, I've seen the map of the uh, exhibit that's online at their website, and it seems that they um, have each little section um, has a, an overall theme to it, and as you walk through the exhibit. Mm. Um, you know the 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 general theme of the little location you're in changes as you go around. Um, yeah. Um, is that is that noticeable? I mean, did did um I mean, it, someone explained to to me who hasn't been and won't be going. You know, kind of how how they have the different sections organized. Because um, I had heard that the dear boss letter for instance maybe shoved off somewhere like you could maybe miss it or or it's like not in a prominent location where some people would think it should be um and then they and but then i also heard i think from philip's review um that uh john thurtell's a wax figure of thurtell is something that pretty much greets you at the door yes uh, um so maybe philip can can take us through the exhibit um um, and fill us in on some of those. Like, yeah, certainly. As, put as on you your go tour in, guide hat. <laughs> I'm not going to do it in a tour guide mode today. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> as as you uh, as you go in, there's a couple of staff that check your ticket at the door because the admission to the exhibition is separate to the admission for uh, the rest of the Docklands Museum. Um, but yeah, as soon as you go in, you, you, there's a rather bizarre thing of of uh, this wax head, and, and next to it, uh, the straw inner body for Tussauds waxwork of uh, of William Burke. And I'm thinking, what have these got to do with with the Ripper? Apparently, uh, their excuse for them being there is the fact they're on ex exhibition uh, at Tussauds at the time. 
so it's not particularly relevant. Then you're met by a huge uh, cyclorama going around, uh, wrapping around a wall of uh, various snippets from from early Ripper films, you know, such as uh, the Hitchcock's Twenty Seven version of The Lodger and uh, and Lulu and things like that. Um, it then then leads into an early part, just going around the corner. It's it's suddenly got um, a, a big sign on the wall speaking of all the victims' names and uh, their years of birth and the exact dates of death. And I personally thought the fact you only have their year of birth and not the exact dates, but the exact dates of their death, seem to uh, speak volumes to me about their attitude towards the victims. Um, then going around the corner, you, you're met with uh, early things from from 1888, things that actually gave. Almost a, a kind of pre-rise to, to the to the Ripper myth. For example, there was uh, things there to do with uh, with Mansfield's performance of uh, of Jekyll and Hyde. Um, the, they've actually found an old carte de visite, uh, the famous image of, of the metamorphosis of Mansfield. Um, they put they put that in an entire case by itself, which I thought was possibly giving it um, a little too much priority that it didn't really need. But it then goes through the madness of the times that they speak about the various strikes and. Uh, and indeed, that Minotaur picture was meant to be speaking... <laughs> supposedly, the image itself was meant to be speaking about the dichotomy of, of the human condition, I'm thinking, which is probably reading a little bit too much into what the image was supposed to be. Um, you then turn around the corner, and this whole long corridor doubles back on itself, and you're met with things like market traders' carts and uh, sewing machines and uh, uh, various butcher's knives and tailor's scissors and, and things. Um, and there's various screens all around the place, certainly starting here, showing uh, just a sequence in rotation of, of images of, of uh, the London Victorian poor. But they have got a screen there showing, uh, in I presume its entirety, the, uh, the film of Petticoat Lane Market taken, I think it's 1903. And that for me was, was uh, I'm sure for John as well, was fantastic to see moving yeah. images. We're always seeing photographs of people walking around Petticoat Lane Market selling and buying clothes and stuff but to see a few minutes of actual moving film was was wonderful and obviously no, everybody's paying attention yeah yep. well everyone's paying attention to the camera um and and sometimes you can clearly see people as saying things it'd be lovely to find out what it was they're actually saying yeah. but when you've only actually gone through that bit about that <laughs> but, but in in <laughs> but in in hebrew i imagine probably no. um <laughs> but, but uh, when you've gone through that, it then goes through into a slightly dark room. The whole exhibition seems to be in semi-darkness. Now, if that's to preserve the documents uh, or to just give some kind of semblance of, of, uh, of something unpleasant, I'm, I'm not too sure. Um, it then goes through a section. It's, uh, it then goes into an area um, which is speaking about um, the, the, the dwelling houses and... and uh, and, and the rebuilding of the common lodging houses, the bit of the slum clearance, and there's people, uh, archive recordings, little clips of speaking about uh, people's final years in uh, things like the Rothschild buildings before they were demolished, and saying how they used to go out and get the coal and the wood and do the washing outside and that kind of thing. Um, there's little sections on the Salvation Army, on prostitution. All of this is interspersed with various versions of, uh, of the Booth uh, poverty maps. And it kind of struck me as weird as this. it's, in a way, that's kind of wasted. You needed one Booth poverty map, but they, they keep repeating different versions of the same section again and again. Uh, and there's huge swathes of walls that are sometimes uh, empty. There's bits of display cases empty. And you often think that they could have put more in here if they'd only actually rationed their time a little bit better to start with. 
Um, so generally, the first two rooms are almost entirely dealing with um, the working conditions and various conditions of poverty. And it's only when you get into the last room, uh, which is quite a big room, that you start to deal with the case itself. All the way through this previous bit, there has been a kind of timeline. There's been boards on the walls speaking of, uh, of the victims and uh, little news snippets which are presented on the boards. Incidentally, I have to say, and I think Rob Clack pointed this out on the boards as well, they try to have arrows pointing to the murder locations on each of the boards, but they've actually got, I think almost all of them, are in completely the wrong place. Now, if they're trying to just denote the street or the area, then that's fine, but if they're trying to be exact about the spots, they, they, they will weigh out. When you get into the final room, you start to get to the exhibits that people really want to see. Uh, the various letters sent to the press, uh, Abilene's scrapbook, his, his walking cane, which is something I'd personally wanted to see for years. Um, and, and things like, um, although, you know, obviously its provenance is, is extremely dubious, uh, but the, the knife that Don Rumbelow owns, which curiously has now been reconstructed. It's been, it's been welded back together again, and you can't even see the join. I'm presuming that most people know that it's, it's been in two parts for years. But then you go back to the thing about the priority. Rumbelow's knife has been stuck in a display case along with a load of comics and uh, cinema programs. And you think uh, Rumbelow's knife has been stuck in the side of a cabinet with all these things. And this photograph of Mansfield has a whole display cabinet to itself. You're kind of thinking, you know, that maybe that's not the way it should be. Um, and it, it kind of finishes off with uh, something I thought worked very well. They had uh, a load of pictures of various suspects, and they'd done them on a timeline showing when they first became a suspect, which is something I never really considered before. Uh, and it kind of brings things into perspective, seeing. Um, obviously when you know why they've been named as suspects but seeing all these names and various suspects along this dateline and seeing just how many start cropping up when you get to the modern era um, there is also this uh, this small thing in the corner of, of the victims um, I personally didn't think this worked I found it almost distasteful but that could have been my analysis of the way it was presented they had a tiny little rounded area lit in very bright white light with, with the walls white as well with a warning saying you know that there's very graphic pictures in here and inside you've got tiny little almost uh, almost can't divise each size pictures of the victim set into this huge white area now some people said oh that they thought that was actually you know nice and pure and heavenly well i found that idea rather mawkish to me it actually it, it's it struck more of a kind of clinicism of a mortuary and to me that 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 didn't work and i i found that distasteful i personally think there should have been photographs of the victims through the exhibition people go in there know very well what they're going to see i found it almost patronizing to the uh, to the visitor myself i i thought the um the thing at the end that you've just been talking about with the victim photographs and it it, it, it reminds that it was it was brighton polytechnic fine art degree show 1988 sort of yes it was like an it was like a little installation yeah, you're right. It, it seemed like yeah. it seemed like the pictures were almost being used as art. You're right. Yeah, which is a bit. Um, I mean, I don't know quite how, how another way of they would have done it, but yeah, it, it just seemed a bit strange. But um, this idea about with the victims stuff, where when each victim appeared in the sort of, the sort of in the room, you know, as you were going along, because as, as Philip was just saying starts off with mostly about the East End and then you notice little bits about the Whitechapel murders creeping in until you get to the last room and then it's it's you know that's that's the big the big tamale where they've got all you know, loads of loads of, loads of stuff in it and and it's basically sort of completely like based on Ripper and the police and all that sort of thing um, and the, the victims bit was getting a bit I don't want to keep going on about the victims but it did strike me um, second time round 
they would have had the name of the you know Polly uh, Marianne Nichols date of birth year time of dying and then sort of a, a clip from a newspaper and I just thought maybe on there it might have been nice to just sort of say a little bit about her life you know and how it changed and what became her in the end and and that and put yeah. in there but also that yeah the maps they because they were using the booth map um which I think was a sort of an 1870s map. So there were a lot of, in some, some cases, the maps had buildings in there that weren't there in 1888, for example. And mm-hmm. like, the Bucks, like the Bucks Row one was, um, was wrong. And um, <laughs> the, uh, the location pointed to right up the end of the street, um, yeah. which um, I know some people think it's that end <laughs> i won't say won't say who <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so little things like that it's just um but yeah it sort of crept up the victim uh, not the victim but just the jack the ripper stuff sort of began to creep in amongst the the east end stuff in the first two rooms and then yeah like i say you get the big um i was a little bit i was a little bit up disappointed by the way the dear boss letter was i think jonathan mentioned this about the way the dear boss letter was displayed I mean, it's brilliant that it was there you know, and there, was, there was some great exhibits there, but that, to me, was like a very important little document. Tiny though it is, I don't know how you would make yeah. make it more prominent. I th- I, it was I just by the side of a door, and it was you know just a little bit out of the way. Considering it's the thing that gave us the name in the first place. Also, the, the, the thing that, that did upset a lot of people was the fact that they showed the front side of it and not the the back side of it with, yes, with actually right. Jack the Ripper written down. Yeah. Now they could have probably got through that by actually exhibiting the letter upright in in a glass case where you could see both yeah. sides of it, and not having That's to use right. a reproduction for the back. Yeah, and people being allowed to walk round it rather than it being. Yeah, sort of, is that um, what they did? They used the reproduction for the back. That's right. Okay. Uh, yeah. In yeah. fact, in fact, there's a lot of the documents where it looks genuine, but they have used reproductions in it. And what about and the vic- t- victim photographs? Are those all reproductions? Oh yeah. In fact, they almost look yeah. like photocopies. Yeah. Oh. Um, I just wanted to say one thing, and I'm not um, an apologist for the Docklands piece people, and I don't know. Um, what their motivations were at all and how they put the displays up. But um, I was reading one of their study guides for students that they have on their website. And um, they have uh, these, uh, uh, you know, it's designed for teachers. And and when they get to the sections for the victim's photographs and the Dear Boss letter, there are these little, you know, um, instructions now that, you know these locations are easy for you to avoid. Shield, you can shield your uh, students' eyes. You know it's uh, so. So maybe they they intended on putting them in bizarre places or obvious or well lit places or whatever to as so uh, school children wouldn't like stumble upon them. Um, you know I don't know. That's just an idea. Is that is that they seemed to make a, a point to point. To, to warn uh, and teachers, you know that this this part of the exhibit is easily avoided. This part of the exhibit is easily <laughs> avoided. You know. Well, I'm, um, well, I'm be- assuming. Go, wait, Before go we ahead, get into uh, a parsing of, I, I'd like to hear Jana's overall perspective because I believe she's also been to um, the exhibit. So before we get into the individuals, um, I was just wondering what Jana's overall take on the exhibit was. Um, not as. Um, not as dedicated a ripperologist as many on this this podcast. Uh, I went after this at a more 
Oh, just an overall view. And I, I didn't have a problem with the exhibit. I, what I had a problem with, I agree with, with what has been said and the, the way it was laid out. Uh, some of the things that were included, I'm, I'm still trying to get over the, the stuff. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> I've got to write that into a book, honest to God. But uh, the, the one thing that I, I think that they could have helped their case a little bit if they had spent maybe five, seven, eight minutes and made a film that would have laid yeah. out a little of this, uh, the, the background of what was going on in the East End, so the, the people, you know, because I, I don't assume automatically that people who live in, in England have as much of a, a background about English history as I do, because I know how history is taught here, and I think you guys have the same problem. So I think it would be nice to bring folks up to speed uh, as to what the East End was like, and then bring them in and talk about the murders and and give a little more overview of the victims. And you could perceivably, ahead of work before they saw the, the you know the big tamale, as it were, um, give them a movie that would or a a video that would give them an overview of the crimes and what was going on, so that when they walked into that that big room with all the goodies, they'd have a better chance of tying some of that down because it just seemed kind of disconnected unless. You knew, you know, when I looked, I did happen to see Aberline's cane. I didn't get to see Don Rumbelow's knife, which really PO'd me until I got home and found out that it was there and I was too busy looking at videos. But, you know, it, so you would have some preparation when you're walking in there because I think the assumption was the people who came into that, that ex exhibit would have a fair amount of background, and I don't think that's necessarily the case. Now, I might be wrong about that. In the grand scheme, I think they did a, 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 a decent job for what, what they had to do and what they were trying to show and trying yeah. to prepare. But I think it could have been refined a little bit more so that it had a little bit more impact. Thank you. Sure. Thank you. <laughs> um, I want to discuss the victims because I know that they were, you know, everyone was sort of trying not to focus on that as they went along on their piece because it was so um, controversial on the boards. And I, I'm not I'm not very much a person who uh, canonizes or really, I, I'm not a, I don't get the whole victim victimization uh, as I see it. But when I found out they did have a stuffed bloodhound and no <laughs> artifacts, which I just found out two seconds ago when you guys were discussing it. And no, uh, that does seem to me like it was a significant slight as far as artifacts that they could have brought in to show the lives of the victims. Was there any attempt to address the general state of a person's life, whether it was the victims or just the general life of an East End person at that time? How, wh what kind of attempt was made Ooh. to show the life of a person? Well, I, one the, thing I know... Oh, sorry, sorry, go on, John. Yeah, the one thing I noticed, there was... Because um, uh, we, we, we all know how, sort of how prominent the, the, the Jewish population were at that time, and there was just one little case with some sort of Hebrew texts and sort of pamphlets for various Jewish meetings. But um, from what like, from what Ali's been saying, one thing that I did think could have been played on a little bit more in, in, in a different way was um, they had a little section in a corner about drink. And all it was was a pub table with a couple of sort of facsimiles of the front of a newspaper and two mirrors from a pub on the wall. <laughs> uh, and, and, the, and, and the picture of um, the... The plague of you know the new plague of of London whatever that the map that's got all the pubs marked out and I sort of thought considering how drink was quite a major feature um, certainly with the victims um, 
and maybe their families as well how are they sort of how we know how today that in prostitutes today maybe sort of fueling drug habits they were sort of have had drink problems and all the rest of it it was quite a you know it was considered quite a big thing and all we had was a little pub table you know, it looked like I was waiting, waiting for Dud and Pete to sit at it. You know, to start talking to each other, and that was that was all it. You know, that, and that was all it was. You know, and that, and that was it. And I sort of felt, once again, you know, it, it would give us an idea of how uh, the victims became. You know, in in the condition that they ended up in. Um, you know, think having things like Bright's disease or whatever it is, um, just going from bar pub to pub or. Um, just eking out a living and I thought that was quite an important thing and that just got a little you know a tiny little table uh, that was one example but I thought that could have been made a little bit more of and Phil you were going to chime in on that one too <clears throat> yeah well <clears throat> just following on from, from what John said I mean it, that certainly strikes me as true as well I just get the, the feeling all the way through that they'd planned how they were going to lay out the exhibition area really well and they'd planned each section and they'd thought well on that but when it actually came to filling it with the artifacts for the space they designated they seemed to have often left it to the last minute some things seemed to be covered very well other things just weren't done properly and that, that's uh, one example uh, to further the, Ali's um, question about um, what was said about the people at the time there was actually also a section on, on prostitution and there was one of these talking heads videos uh, from women speaking about what it was like for women at the time and what it's like for, for prostitutes in the East End now um, so it, it, wasn't, it wasn't kind of ignoring their victim status it was ignoring the actual individuals now on a lot <laughs> further on that point I mean um I don't, I don't know how, how it would have been presented if it would have been in text or a, a yet a, another video. I'm not sure how many Talking Heads videos there were um, in this exhibit. But, um, you know, if they had bonnets and sewing kits and, and stuff like that, you would think that um, they could mention the fact that these women left children behind. Um, and, you know, were, you know, from broken homes when they were children. And, you know, I mean, because if it does seem like, you know, their lives, we know who these individuals are. We know the, the lives they led. So they would be examples. I mean, let's put their deaths aside. They would be examples of, of what uh, a certain population of the East End was like back then, you know. Um, and and that was completely neglected. Um, yeah. I'm Oops. Oh, go ahead, Jenna. I was thinking that, you know, one of the options they could have done is, of course, you know, with the talking heads, we could have gone to someone uh, acting as if they were one of the ladies on the streets, not necessarily one of the victims, but one of the ladies on the streets at that point in time. And, you know, have her, I'm, I'm always thinking of the uh, Michael Huey play that he does. And you get a sense of the victims in that play. And um, I got to see that at, at a couple of the Ripper conventions. And so if you had someone who actually acted as if they were one of the, the, the ladies from 88, um, you know, who, who earned their living on the street, and, and she could pass on in, in just saying, you know, what, what her life was like and, and how afraid she was, you know, how afraid they were to actually go out and conduct their business because of, of the Ripper's work. And the other thing that struck me is, is the thing that they had at the uh, Wolverhampton uh, Ripper Conference that, that hit me the, the hardest, I think, uh, was uh, they, had, um, they had created a display of what uh, a mannequin with what uh, 
uh, Kate Eddowes would have been wearing the night she died, based on the, the police reports. And they'd also set up a display case with representations of the items that she was carrying on her person, because she was homeless. And I think it would have been a lot more, it, it, that really caught me, because I'm looking at the little bits that this woman carried with her, of, you know, her little bit of, her little tiny broken comb, and all the, all the things, and it humanized her. And I, I half wonder if, if they had done something of that nature, maybe that would have gotten us a little bit more in touch with what these, these ladies lived like and might give us a little bit more insight into, you know, their, their eventual deaths. I, I, it's just something that hit, caught me at the time when I got out of the exhibit. I thought, why didn't they do something like that? Because I, that really had, had, a, had an impact on me. Well, I was, I was thinking of some, something a bit like that um, would, have, would have been good because... Um, I mean, if you think about it, the, the exhibition, I guess, you know, it's open to everybody. It's not just something for, um, quote, ripperologists to sort of, mm -hmm. for, their, for their sort of pleasure, you know. It's, and without wanting to sort of insult the intelligence of the, you know, the, just the general public who are going to come in who don't really know that much about it, um, I got the feeling that they could have left the exhibition probably not much the wiser if they were the sort of types that just got their idea of the victims or Jack the Ripper, or certainly the victims, from, say, watching films where they're all, like, sort of busty Barbara Windsors and, you know, <laughs> with sort of quite, quite, quite elegant Victorian clothes and maybe a little bit of dirt on their face. And, like, Jan Jana, you were saying that, yeah, you know, they, they had... The, their clothes were in a terrible state and a lot of the time they had all their belongings in the pockets and something like that certainly would have served to sort of humanise them just, just basically so, I mean, we know the backgrounds of the, the victims and we know how they came to be, how they were and what happened to them. But, um, you know, the, the, the man, woman in the street who's just sort of thinks, oh, I'll go and see this exhibition, sounds interesting, possibly don't, possibly doesn't. So um, I think something like that, uh, where, where it just actually sort of busts a few myths about, you know, they're not all sort of glamorous ladies going here sweetie do you want a good time or whatever um they were real issues and and it would have yeah something like that would have served to humanize them i think right. well i i have an interesting perspective on this because i don't i'm most of y'all know me from the boards and you know i'm a person of particular opinions but um when this argument is going on about how more details of their lives should be given to humanize them, um, or I guess to make the viewer seem more sympathetic, I actually have the opposite reaction because I'm a person who, when I first began studying the case and I knew nothing about the ladies other than the fact that they had been murdered by Jack the Ripper and they were prostitutes, I had tremendous sympathy for the women as concepts, as, you know, women who were murdered. And I found myself, the more I got to know them, the less I, not that I, the less I cared about them, but the less I liked them individually. I mean, they, you know, if we look at these women, they are flawed women. They are women who, you know, abandoned their families. They stole from their employers. They, they weren't necessarily the most likable women. <laughs> and so while I would never say, I know I'm making people choke here, um, but while, while I obviously never say that, you know, anybody deserves to um, be murdered. Um, knowing nothing about them but the fact that they were murdered prostitutes of Jack the Ripper, I found myself much more sympathetic to them than once I learned the particulars of their lives. And because I do see people as people who are collections of their own choices and the, 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 the types of lives that they choose to live or, or what they do with their lives. 
And so if we're talking about showing her dress, her collection of, 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 of um, belongings, Kate Eddowes here, I think that would humanize them. But when we're talking about biographies, really what do you include in these biographies was sort of what I would always think about. I mean, do you only include the good bits so that people get a sense of humanity about them, in which case you're ignoring all of the other aspects of their lives? Or if they had put those sorts of things in, you know, this victim stole, this victim did that, would there have been complaints about how they were only portraying them you know, in these sort of negative lights. And so, I don't know, I saw both sides of it as, do you always want to know more? Or can people take away from it these poor women without having to know all of those details? Well, maybe one way of, look, maybe one way of looking at it was, maybe say humanize them is maybe the wrong sort of phrase, but I, I was thinking, thinking maybe if, if they're just given the facts, you know, just... This is this is what she did. The good and good and the bad. You know, they've yeah. gone from living mm -hmm. in Windsor one minute, and the next thing you know, they're sort of trying to dodge paying uh, DOS money or whatever it is, um, without sort of shoving it down people's throats and saying, "Look, this lady was actually a really good person who fell on hard times. You must feel sorry for her." Uh, but just say, "No, this is what happened." You know, and without sort of coming over with a sort of a moral high ground of it, and then people would probably walk away with their own opinion of it so yeah i don't think it's a case of sort of building them up into sort of these sort of poor people we're all supposed to go ah but it's just the, just the facts just the you know what we know about them um done quite sort of um neutrally i guess would have been a would have been a good thing well maybe one of Thanks. you can comment more on what the uh, section on prostitution entailed but i i agree with what Jana was saying how it would have been helpful and and, uh, and maybe this is something that uh, went into the exhibit, uh, you know, kind of um, subconsciously is what Allie was referring to is this um, avoidance of 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 uh, c confronting what typified the women of this social class that these victims were in, um, and and um, and and so that that's kind of what I would have liked. To, I mean, I'm not going to see it as I said, but that that's something that I would be interested in seeing presented. Is just what what um, what was typical of whether it was the, the specific victim or not. You know, what was typical of 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 the the social class of women that the victims belonged to, um, and um, but maybe you know what what was the, apparently they had a section on prostitution, but. Um, does anyone want to com comment further on this one? Can I just jump in here Please and just call. just uh, just, yeah. just raise a sort of little question? I, I, it's one of the things, all these things about what they should have done and what they what they did do and mm. and, and so forth. I think one of the the questions that immediately sprang to my mind um, even before I went to see the exhibition myself. Uh, and I and I did have uh, serious reservations uh, at one point, but I think I think one of the questions uh, about the event is is how the organisers uh, conceived the exhibition because if you look at the book, uh, the the accompanying book doesn't have very much about Jack the Ripper in it at mm. all, and no, and. No. Um, as I've said in a in a review in Ripperologist, uh, you get the feeling that the can, people who contributed to the book didn't know very much about Jack the Ripper either. So 
the whole thing is it's, it's Jack the Ripper in the East End and so forth. And you, you, ex- you, you, you buy that book and you open it and you expect to be told something about Jack the Ripper, but there isn't even a chapter about the Ripper. You, you get an error-filled introduction and, uh, and basically that's it. So were the organizers really that interested in Jack the Ripper? Or were they interested in doing a semi-academic uh, exhibition about the East End of London and uh, thought, well, that's not going to bring very many people in, so let's call it Jack the Ripper, and, uh, and maybe that will put the bums on seats, so to speak. Uh, I, I, yeah. Which, which, which were the organizers trying to do, and how, how, did, how does the, the, the exhibition in itself reflect those particular interests? Because I feel as well that um, I wonder whether there was, in fact, some conflict amongst the people who were organizing it, because obviously the guy who uh, edited the book, who's in charge, is the boss there. Um, if the book's anything to go by, his view of, uh, of what the Ripper should be, an exhibition should be about, is that you exclude Jack the Ripper. Um, <laughs> so, the exhibition organisers, did they conceive this? Do you think uh, the, that the exhibition itself reflects an understanding of the Ripper case? Because from what you're saying, it, it, it doesn't necessarily do that. In your, from, from the impressions that you've received, mm. it's... Um, and, and about the the victims, just the other the point, uh, picking up on what Ali was saying, I actually agree with what, what, what Ali was saying. Um, basically, we're, we're talking about a bunch of women here who are bag ladies. And, uh, you know, when, when you're walking down the street and you've got some dirty, drunken old woman pushing her supermarket trolley along, swearing at you and hurling abuse, <laughs> I mean, do you actually... Do you stop and wonder how she got ever got into that position? And, I, and again, I just wonder if there are any would-be historians of the future are going to look back on the lives of these people and, say, and, and think, oh, you know, you know, the 21st century, they, they, they had people who were homeless and wandered the streets and were mentally ill and they, you know, they weren't looked after um, and try to use I, the lives of these people to illustrate uh, that sure, thing. Well, I, don't think, I don't think the women should have been deified in any way. They just needed a bit of honesty, uh, a, a bit of coverage, which the, which the exhibition didn't give them. I'm in no way in favour of trying to be some kind of historical revisionist and making them out to be angels, because we know for a fact they weren't. Uh, just, it would just be oh, nice if there no. was something about the people. Which yes, individuals I mean, I think- did get specific coverage? Can you compare their coverage to, say, another prominent person um, in the case? Uh, nobody. Anyone, uh, no. No, no so, victims, no suspects, no police individuals. None of them got specific coverage in the exhibition. Some of them were mentioned in passing, and ex- exhibits from the individuals, certainly when it came to the police, were, were put up there. But, but n- they didn't focus on any individual at any point. And the, the victims should have been specially treated why? Yeah, and so the victims should have been given more than anyone else uh, was given? Um, only, only in the sense that we're speaking of murder victims here. So, therefore, in, in my view, there there should be perhaps slightly more sympathy for them than, than there should be for others. Uh, but I mean, I, I certainly agree that that, uh, that everybody, you know, um, all individuals involved with the case should have had it. But this is really addressing Paul's wider question of the fact that was it just an exhibition about the East End and Jack the Ripper was a convenient thing? If that is the case, then there wouldn't have been enough space to have to have covered. Uh, all the things that we'd we'd like to see in there. I think that just just to to, to comment on the the victim bit there, uh, the the fact that they were murder victims obviously is is important. Um, and I, but I don't necessarily think that that in particular 
warrants that they they have greater uh, space or time given to them than, than than anybody else. But what is terribly important about it, and what would have been uh, and should have been done, is really to use the lives of those victims to show how other people lived, because they, they were not unusual. They were they were par for the course. There were there were you know hundreds and hundreds of women were out on the streets. Uh, every night in the East End doing exactly the same thing that they did. They just happened to end up as being victims of Jack the Ripper, and we remember them. And because, they, because there is information out there, uh, and because their lives were, were looked at in some um, detail uh, for, for the inquests and so forth, we, we know about these people. We don't know about the majority of, of, uh, of women who were... Uh, struggling to survive in the East End at that particular time. So by picking on these, these women's lives, the, the, the fact that they were murdered by Jack the Ripper uh, caught them like, like uh, flies in aspic, and, and their lives are there, and we, we can research them and learn about them, and it will reflect life in general. And in that, re in that respect, I think uh, the exhibition did itself a big disservice by not talking about the victims' lives, because that's how you springboard off into what life was like in in the East mm. End at that time. Yeah. I think maybe the, maybe the issue here is that the exhibition does speak about the circumstances of their deaths, and if you're going to do one, then you should do the other. Hmm. Well, their deaths are, 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 are almost kind of immaterial. The thing about Jack the Ripper that people uh, tend to forget is that the Ripper very, very quickly spun off into this semi-fictional character. Um, and so whilst at one one hand we're talking about Jack the Ripper a, a, a serial killer the reality is is that for most people Jack the Ripper isn't the same sort of isn't a Ted Bundy um, he's uh, you know he's a semi-mythical creature like Dracula and Frankenstein's monster and 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 all that sort of thing so he's there, there are these two elements now a lot of people go along to the exhibition expecting the more f you know the fictional side of, of the mm. Ripper the uh, because that's the common image that we've got. That's the iconic image that we have. And I think um, you know, the, the, we can talk about the victims, but tend to forget that just because we call the victim Annie Chapman half the time, as you say, we're thinking about the busty Barbara Windsor, um, <laughs> not about the real, real woman, because our image of the Ripper, or a lot of people's image, our, not ours particularly as, as, as Ripperologists, but... Uh, we have a different view of how these people looked. I think on a, on a sort of slightly side note, meant Paul mentioned about the sort of the iconography of Jack the Ripper and the, you know, the, he's a sort of mythical character who's, you know, become just like Dracula or Sweeney Todd. I, got the, I felt that the exhibition didn't play on that. I mean, it might be something I didn't pick up on, but that is the sort of the idea that everybody out there seems to have of Jack the top hat and the bag and the cloak and the fog and the Barbara Win busty Barbara Windsors and I got the thing it didn't play on that at all apart from right at the beginning when they had sort of clips from like the lodger and it it developed that sort of mellow drama I didn't feel that it played on that um so the extent. beginning and the end you went in and you you had that and then at the end you had all those um comics as you say and books and things yeah That's yeah so you got it when you came in and you got got the That's fictionalized right, yeah. bit when you went out but it didn't really. Gel. It didn't go. No, it didn't go throughout the whole thing. Um, mm. 
but on the front of the book, there he is, man with a top hat. You know, so yeah. I thought in the fog, yes. Um, I thought the book was quite good. Um, if you just try and think to yourself, this is not no, this is not a book about Jack the Ripper. It's a book about the East End, which it most definitely was. Um, I found it quite interesting. It dealt with a lot of East End things in a in a different way. There was a lot. Of yeah, it was all fairly going on. But all fairly basic stuff, though. I'm yeah, yeah, but it was. There are other Jack books the on the East End out there. <laughs> yes, as, as a Jack the Ripper book, it was awful. Yeah, <laughs> it was pretty non-existent well, it, in that field. Yes, well, as a book about Jack the Ripper, of course, it wasn't one. Yeah. <laughs> and one last point about the victims that I want to make um, is is that I agree um, that they should have maybe been given a little bit more coverage, if only because they were this, or at least their social class would should have been given a little bit more um, of an explanation, at least because that was the 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 social class that the you know victims belong to that jack the ripper if you're going to title the exhibit jack the ripper these this social class was was the group from which he picked his victims but i can also see the other side to where um as and and what paul was saying kind of sparked this in me is that you know yes there were hundreds of prostitutes on the streets of east london at the time let's see what their lives were like but at the same token there were hundreds of police officers on the streets of the east end at the same time as well and 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 are we going to go into um you know what the life was like for the um beat cop and what what um things that, that they carried on their persons and what their existences may have been like you know so um so there there are kind of two sides of this you know and how much uh, uh an exhibit can um can give you know well i also think it boils down to the bottom line is that the people who um who have such a high priority on emphasizing the victims lives i think it all boils down to that basic part of us all that feels a tremendous sense of guilt that we find pleasure and enjoyment on what is basically the murder of five women. And most of us are in it for the historical mystery aspect of it, but every one of us has had that awkward moment of trying to explain to someone why we're in it for Jack the Ripper. And there's this need to explain it away, to to sort of mitigate that guilt that we could take pleasure in a mystery that hinged upon the death of five women. And it's really interesting that when it comes to murder victims, you know, there have been billions of people killed in one way or another throughout history. And people who take pleasure in reenacting civil war enactments and taking great delight in shooting each other across the field with, with fake muskets, they don't feel that same sense of guilt, even though they are basically doing exactly what occurred here, which is killing people. But there is that aspect that an interest in this is morbid, and therefore we need to mitigate it in some respect. And that's and just, I, of course, I, my opinion. I agree with you entirely, and it's often yeah. often occurred to me that uh, I that that we we watch people watch war films all the time. You can have uh, you most countries have got war museums where you go around and 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 look at the weaponry of war, uh, all of which is designed uh, ab about shooting. I mean, does anybody and killing people? Does anybody worry about movies that show the gunfight at the OK Corral? We enjoy these things. We're, they're, they're used as forms of entertainment. 
even major disasters like the sinking of the Titanic gets to be used as a, as a form of major entertainment because it transcends the, uh, the, the ordinary. It transcends the mundane. Most serial killers and, and, and serial killings are, are they're, they're very unpleasant people that you, 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 wouldn't, you wouldn't want to, to, to go and watch a musical about an all-singing, all-dancing Ted Bundy. You, you, that, would, that, that would be completely wrong. Um, but people will make a musical out of Jack the Ripper. It's, mm-hmm. But, but be, that's because the Ripper has transcended the norm and did so very quickly, even at the time. Right, just, think- just the idea of a uh, museum exhibit on a serial killer is is pretty unusual. Um, like, uh, I know that some um, places have tried to have exhibits on the paintings of John Wayne Gacy, and people will show up in front and with picket signs and such. Um, and it, and um, so, you know, there there are museums like uh, springs to my mind uh, the sixth floor exhibit in Dallas. Uh, about the assassination of Kennedy, um, that's a permanent institution. Um, that's, um, you know, it's it's very rare uh, for uh, an exhibit to focus on murder. So maybe they they had um, just some issues. But there with are that. there are exhibits of uh, the the Dracula Museum in uh, in Whitby. Um, I, the, the, somebody set up a Dracula theme park, I think, in Transylvania. Uh, there, there are there are lots of things. I mean, let's not forget the London Dungeon has turned Jack the Ripper into an entertainment as well. Yeah, very uh, poorly as well as somebody used to work there. Well, it, I, yes, I'm, I'm not arguing the quality of the event, but I'm just trying to say that you you go there even now and you you look at the, the French Revolution uh, site and you see some poor model's head. I mean, not a model model. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, uh, if only a dummy, a dummy. <laughs> well, yes, I was trying to. <laughs> trying Isn't to that the same thing, Paul? <laughs> well, yes, it's one of the, one of the same. <laughs> yes, I'm getting into trouble here. I'm just trying to get myself out of it. <laughs> yeah. And then I'm, 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 I'm thinking Ali's going to say something really scathing, and she said, and, and she's the one who agrees. And I, I got. <laughs> but there's, but there's no, also I, things. They we cut the head off and water squirts out on the back people, if, if you remember at the London Dungeon, where, where the yes. guillotine down, uh, As the guillotine chops the head off, water, water, squirts, water um, squirts out of a window at the back they, people. They've, very, very briefly, they, they've removed that now. We used to have to stand at the back with polystyrene cuts filled with water and we threw it over the audience. That's what yes. it was. Yes, well, I mean, it's just, I, I thought it was something a little more, more automated than that. Yeah, no, unfortunately <laughs> I realized not. realised it was that basic, but, but still. But that, that's, isn't, isn't that kind of fairly disgusting, really, is that you're turning the French Revolution yeah. into, a, in, in, into a kind of, um, well, a couple of guys with, with paper cups full of water chucking it over people at the back of the crowd to make yeah, them but, feel as if they've been spattered with mud. But the whole idea of that exhibition is purely entertainment. It, it's, it's highly distasteful if you're trying to look at it academically. Um, the majority of the items in there have, have little relation to actual historical fact. It's always going on, on, the, on the gore uh, aspect oh, yeah. and, uh, the gore and, and the dark side. Um, and it is, is purely for entertainment. Uh, so, so, yes, if, if, you, if you're looking at it that way, the whole thing is distasteful. But it's... Okay. it's but Which it is just on, but, um, ooh. Right, sorry. Let's have Janet chime in. <laughs> what I was going to say is, if you think about it, uh, uh, the 
French uh, Revolution and what they were doing with the guillotines was in some ways public entertainment, <laughs> much like the hangings outside yes. Newgate used to be. It's, it's, we yeah. do have that, that dark side of us who likes the, the dark stuff, and we have to feed it every now and again, and, and luckily we found a way of doing this in a reasonably academic form. And John? Yeah, and don't don't forget we talk about you know the Jack the Ripper sort of transcending what he actually what it actually is, and don't forget they used to have a pub named after him, which is a very odd thing. Um, mm. Thinking about it, now, thinking thinking about it now. You know. But then again, it it, it, it isn't. There's a pub uh, called the Tyburn. I'm, I'm, mm -hmm. Nobody seems to have objected to, to object to that. Um, yeah. And th there was one. It used to be called the the Hanging Tree, which was down Edgware Road from the from the spot of uh, of uh, yeah. Tyburn itself. And I'm sure there are a number of other pubs that are named oh, after yeah. fairly nasty individuals. If if one could, yeah. I'm, I'm oh right, that's true. Sure, sure there's, there's probably a crip in somewhere or whatever. <laughs> yeah. But there's a, um, there's a captain captain kid in Wapping. Well, there you go. There you are. That seems yeah. a, that yeah, seems well. an obvious one. They, that that commemorates drowning a man in. The Thames. <laughs> um, so, <coughs> well, I was going to uh, see if Mike Covell and Holly has uh, been awfully quiet. Let's uh, have him uh, ask some questions here, Mike. I think pretty much the big question I had um, was: was it value for money? I mean, would you go again? Uh, would you advise people to go again? Um, yes. Or would you advise them to stay away? Yeah. There speaks yeah, a true ordinary. Yeah, I'd definitely go again just to pick up the stuff that I missed, which unfortunately my time in London was so limited I didn't get an opportunity to do that. But uh, I think, yes, I, I agree with John. A second pass probably would have been a benefit. I, I kind of got my value for money first time. I had a lot of time to kill, so I was there for about two and a half hours, and I got to mm -hmm. see everything, so I don't need to see it again. But for a fiver, for the two and a half hours of that exhibition, I think it was certainly worth it. Sure. Mm. And John, do you do you think that it benefited you the second time around because you were with someone who uh, wasn't quite as keyed into the case as you were that you were maybe able to s kind of vicariously, you know, um, see the exhibit through the eyes of like the the who the exhibit's intended to serve? Or yeah, it, well, yeah, that was um, I found it useful because I. Um as I was taking my, my my dad around, every now and again, if I saw something that was um, something that I knew that he he'd sort of had an had, a, had an angle on or something like that, I mean, he was very keen to see the Maybrick Diary. Uh, whatever anyone thinks about it, it's quite a sort of a, a notorious document, and I was quite uh, pleased to see it personally. But I, mm. as I went round, I, I would sort of point things out to him and say, "Look, that's that's the, an original document. That is, that's you know, not that one." And it was like sort of taking a kid round, I suppose. Sorry, Dad. But it was like sort of taking a, a kid round, just trying to show them, you know, things of, you know, of, of note. So, um, which helped make me look a bit closer as well, because there's a lot there. It's quite dark, and you can find yourself whizzing for for it a bit too quick. But yeah, certainly a, a second, a second um, viewing is 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 worth it. Unless, of course, you, th you think it was so awful that you think, I'm not going again. But it, I think, you know, on the whole, it was pretty successful. And uh, A second viewing would, um, wouldn't do any harm, I don't think. For me, the uh, mortuary cart was the most interesting thing, besides Aberline's cane. I, I, I would just kind of, because it was in a, the mortuary cart, it was kind of a darkened area, so if you let your imagination wander, you could have a great deal of uh, fun with that in picturing it on the streets and rolling through Whitechapel with it people was, standing on either side. It was also the, 
and you could see through one end straight through it and that was kind yeah. of dark and the, and the fact that the canvas on top had all this staining on it although it's probably water yeah. staining you know mm -hmm. you can let your imagination run right mm-hmm it did <laughs> what did you all think of the uh, the walking stick incidentally what did you think it did you think it re that that face represents anything on the stick or is it just uh... <sighs> Oh, I don't That's know. An question. Well, I don't know either. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would like to think that that it is meant to represent the Ripper, but I I think that's just us being fanciful and us really hoping for something that we're not going to get an answer to. Mm. Did, the, did, the, did the face on the stick have a really huge moustache? I can't remember. <laughs> a huge moustache, uh, a uh, top hat, and a swirling cape. <laughs> <laughs> No, and it, it looked, for me, looked very Jewish face as well. Yeah, and, it's very uh, and, yes, absolutely. And, yeah. and a bit well, like, you know, a bit like mean, a school teacher as well. Would Everline want to carry around a cane for the rest of his life that had that face on it if indeed he hadn't been able to catch the Ripper? You know, if he hadn't been able to genuinely ID to himself at least who he thought it was. Mm. Would he Excellent want that point. remembrance? Mm. It's really, it would be yeah. a monument to his failure. Yeah, yeah, every time he picked it up, he'd look at it and go, "Bugger," you know. Alternatively, he may have looked, may have picked it up and looked upon it and uh, looked at the, the great time that he had in the East End uh, with all these other other mates of his. You know, mm -hmm. look back that way. Yeah, but it's, uh, it is quite, it is quite a vivid um, sort of depiction of a face. You sort of think, mm. well, who is it supposed to be? Because it's quite yeah. um, distinctive. There is an idea it's meant to be this mad brother Martin, who is this monk that never existed in the site of Mitre Square. Yeah. The thing that bothers me about it is that, presumably, I, I have no idea, but uh, just by, on today's standards, if you, if you were to manufacture something that was pretty unique, uh, there's only six or, or eight of them or whatever, it would be a very expensive item to have uh, to have made mm. so i wonder if it was just a stock face that and it's uh, that stuck on a walking stick and they just thought oh well this is a good idea you know we'll just we'll just write on it and it doesn't actually mean anything at all but uh, that walking stick is a great source of embarrassment to me anyway because i nearly lost it once I fully be <laughs> fully believed that i did we had it uh, we had it and the dear boss letter at the jack the ripper conference in uh, in Bournemouth and uh, I put it down put put the uh, the walking stick down whilst I went and did something else when I came back it had gone and Adam Wood and I were somewhat well Adam wasn't that worried because he hadn't put it down anywhere it was my fault so but, but he, was, he was anxious because the artifact had gone missing he wasn't bothered I, he, had, he, had another, he had another one yeah I was I was the one who needed a change of underwear you know I, I <laughs> Fortunately, somebody had picked it up and and, uh, and uh, to to take it to the safe take place. It, yeah. <laughs> no, no, take it to the safe place where it was it was going to go. Just had, this business, just had this business, Stuart Evans running away, going right. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the one thing he couldn't display in his exhibition. Yes, it would absolutely <laughs> have to be kept secret. You know? <laughs> yes. Now, um, did they have any audio? Uh, uh, assistance like uh for this exhibit to where you can i i assume not because i've never heard any of it uh, uh talk of it uh where you can listen to an audio uh like a tour guide taking you through the exhibit no no no, no there wasn't one of those there 
All right. Um, but they did oh, oh, produce oh, oh, a, a podcast, uh, a video podcast through the History Channel, um, kind of like a walking tour um, of the sites. And I found it pretty interesting in that I thought it was well done. Here's my my positives, and then I'll let other people address the negatives. Of of the, uh, uh, I thought it was well done in that they used a lot of photographs in an unusual way that I and some of them I hadn't seen before um, and I don't know if the Docklands exhibit encouraged people to leave and and go uh, take a tour of the sites or what the exact purpose of this video podcast was but um, who has seen that and if, if anyone wants to discuss that wasn't it, wasn't it? Yeah, wasn't it you, Philip? Yeah, wasn't it you, Philip, that sort of mentioned about one of the routes that they asked on the thing? I've, I've seen it as well, and I, I remember seeing it. One of the routes from one of the sites going up, I think, to up to Mitre Square or wherever, and it says, "Go along here, go along here," and you noticed that it would actually mean that if you followed that route in 1888, you probably would have ended up going through some buildings or something like that. Absolutely. It was a route that didn't, yeah. didn't exist yeah. at the time and things yeah, like that. Yeah, that's right. They're, they're saying you're now walking the same route that Jack the Ripper walked. Well, no, you're not, because there was buildings overlying those streets at that time. Yeah. <laughs> well, there, there, was, there was plenty of small things like that. I remember when the podcast first went up, um, I, I wrote down a list of things as I was watching it, and I had to keep hitting the pause button on... <laughs> on the, the screen so often to write things down, I ended up with a page of stuff. None of it was major, but there was an awful lot of small errors in there. It did set us some alarm bells ringing. Um, now, I know there's a bookshop um, at the exhibit. Um, is, is that, uh, do they just sell books, or is there, what, what kind of merchandising do they have at this museum mm-hmm. attached to this... Uh, Plastic police hats. Yeah. <laughs> really? Seriously? Yes. Yeah. Plastic police hats. Police notebooks. Truncheons. Truncheons. <laughs> yeah. Truncheons. Um, you can you can get the booth notebooks. poverty map on a mouse pad. Yep. Oh. oh. Yeah, everybody's going to have one of those. <laughs> so they, it really get, is tacky. They've made it <laughs> tacky. And you can get the booth poverty map on a on a notebook. Yes. And you can get the booth poverty map on table napkins, and you can get the booth poverty <laughs> map on. Can I have a t-shirt with it on? I can't remember. Oh yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. I but, but you don't get it all on unless you've got extra, extra large. Yeah. Well, I couldn't resist. I had to get the mouse pad. I mean, I'm going. That was so tacky. I just brought it home, and every time I look at it, I just groan and I move the mouse across. The I you can follow the. There's not the worst investment in the world. There's just something supremely ironic about the poverty map being what they've chose to market their rampant consumerism. Yeah. I mean, that's yes, it is. That's why I got the mouse pad. This good. is just this is so wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and so, of course, I rewarded them by giving them my three pounds fifty or whatever it was, better three pounds. But uh, I went. Oh, I've just got to bring that home. <laughs> Curiously, they, they've generated a series of postcards for, for sale, actually, actually at, at this particular exhibition. And it's interesting, the images they've picked out. Um, they're not cheap postcards, either. They've done uh, a reproduction of the, of the Dear Boss Letter, both sides, on an oversized postcard. 
Um, they've got the, the obviously the nemesis of neglect image from Punch, um, but they've also picked out an image that they're using, this very obscure uh, French one from 1891 that was in a newspaper at the time. Uh, was it Le Monde Illustré? I think something like that. Um, but it's the one that shows the discovery of Francis Cole's body under an archway. Now, mm. of, of course, the, the, France, the Francis Coles is, is very ancillary to the case in many respects anyway. And it just seems to be a very obscure image to a picture of used as a postcard. Did they address any of the uh, non-C5? Um, yes, they did. Yeah, they did all of them. But they even you know, they yeah. covered Rose Milet, they covered Francis Jackson, the, the Pynchon Street torso, the whole lot. Oh, wow. So, so they're to be praised for that, certainly, because I think a lot of exhibitions wouldn't have bothered. Yes, they didn't, but they didn't uh, investigate uh, or do anything with with regard to, to to the development of the of the myth no. or the and, and all the suspect stuff and uh, and things like that. So it was it was all kind of fairly fairly straightforward and basic, really. Mm. Um, yeah. Given that a lot of people would have been going there thinking, "Oh, Jack the Ripper, he was a member of the royal family, wasn't he?" and all that sort of stuff. They they didn't uh, do anything to really dispel the myths or, or to explain how these stories came into existence. Which, which is interesting for an exhibition that was predominantly ap- academic in its presentation. Do you think dispelling myths would be a, a priority for them? Yeah, although I think in that respect, perhaps, the, as you say, uh, that, that was primarily academic in its presentation, that in many, many ways was probably the fault of the exhibition. Uh, and I think that they had this academicness right from the very outset, um, mm. from, from when they conceived the idea, from when I was sitting with them, when they were very, very early days of, well, look, we got this idea, how do you think we should do it, and all the rest of it. They, they were academic then, um, which is understandable, and I'm not knocking that, but it, it, mm. it didn't, it, 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 it completely missed the, uh, the, the fictional side, and the, not so much the fictional fictional side but the side of the ripper that's like the fog and the top hat and all that kind of stuff yeah which it, it, it seemed to uh, seem to not acknowledge the myth it didn't at all and uh, and i think that was wrong and it didn't discuss the suspects and it didn't discuss the the, oh, the whole the whole ball game of everything that that's happened ever since and that was almost treated i thought with with um almost with disdain it it's it, it was dismissed mm. by, okay by how focused on how focused on academia could they be with a stuffed dog <laughs> at the exhibit? Which I just I can't get over that. Just I, I would have. It, it just wasn't well old dog. Very well stuffed dog. Yes, it was a it was a beautifully stuffed dog as far, as far as I was able to judge. I've never seen very many stuffed dogs to be able to make that kind of judgment. Had, but, uh, had it been the case that that, uh, that there'd been some kind of evolutionary thing where bloodhounds had changed over 120 years, then there might have been a point. But the fact is that you were just looking at a stuffed bloodhound. It could be any old bloodhound. You know, you could, well, could have a live one in there running around. You've got to put something in a in an, in an exhibition, haven't you? When you're talking about Burgo and Barnaby, but it would have been nice if perhaps they'd shown photographs and illustrations of Burgo and Barnaby. And, and yeah, really, yeah. A, a stuffed dog. What exactly <laughs> does that add to? I mean, everybody's seen a bloodhound. It's not like someone's going to go, "Oh, so that's what a bloodhound looks like in real life." You know, I mean. <laughs> Actually, how many people have seen bloodhounds? Because I can't. To be honest, I can't say that. They're that common when you when I sort of go walking my Jack Russell in the park. I'm I'm not inundated with bloodhounds, so it's <laughs> they are quite big dogs. They're they're 
you know, to, to see the stuffed dog there gives you some idea of of uh, of their size and how powerful they are. And bearing in mind that obviously they expected uh, children to be going around or students to be going around, many of whom may not have seen bloodhounds, especially if they live in London. Uh, you know, you don't don't see too many bloodhounds. You didn't really see one then. You saw a dead one that had been stuffed. Well, this is this is true, but appeal to children. Let's show you a dead dog. Dead dog. Pony rides five pence. Yes, and you can teachers can shield their eyes, and you can from the big dog. Avoid looking at the dead dog. Yes. Yeah. At least you can't have actually. It's right as you go through an archway, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, yeah. You, right, the, and there's a seat next to it. So if you want to, because I sat on the seat with uh, with, with somebody, and uh, and we ended up just looking at the dead dog. <laughs> <laughs> well, they missed an opportunity. They could have put it in the gift shop, and I would have bought you one, Alex. Now see that. Actually, I did kind of like the dog. I just didn't understand why. I know why it was there, but mm. still, it just... Okay. It was quite a famous bloodhound. I can't remember what its name was now, but it, it was fairly... Because it baffled me when I, when, when, when I got the information for what the card was, uh, and they'd just noted down what it was. And isn't that something brilliant or something? I can't remember. But it, I, I thought, what the hell's this? And I had to look up the dog on the internet, and... Uh, and then found that this was actually quite a, a famous champion bloodhound. So you you are looking at a dead dead champion bloodhound. <laughs> it's an elite stuffed dog. It is. It is. It's uh, it's a very important uh, stuffed dog. Dead dog. <laughs> yeah. Well, does anyone? The parrot sketch is coming here. It is. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's waiting for it. <laughs> does anyone know if they have uh, uh, events? Um, to commemorate the anniversaries of the murders, or if there's any um, more, like guest speakers upcoming. I mean, anyone oh, yeah. can go on their website, yeah. look, but just off of the top of anyone's head, if anyone's aware of. Now there are a yeah, whole but, series of talks, yeah. aren't there, um, throughout the throughout the uh, the life of the exhibition. I was going to ask Paul if he, in speaking with Adam Wood, has um, learned anything about what the one-day mini-conference will entail, if anything's been let slip, or if he just happens to be aware. Um, I know absolutely nothing about it whatsoever, and I, I haven't discussed it with Adam, and I'd, in fact, I'd forgotten that it was happening. So I, <laughs> I have no idea what that, that's all about at all. This is um, in conjunction with the exhibit? Yeah, I think mm -hmm. it's one of the last last talks, isn't it? It's it's or last last events. It's something to do with uh, with something. <laughs> yeah, there's supposed to be a one day mini conference held, I believe, on October twelfth. Right. From the right. makers of the UK conference. No, I have no no idea about it at all. Well, I, th I think it's uh, um, it's it's Adam Wood is is uh, behind this. I don't think I don't think the A list have any uh, connection to this to this mini conference that will be going ahead. I'm just going by what I read in the little brochure, sure. and I was, I yeah. mean I, they they said nothing really about it except that there would be one of these, and I was wondering when details would start to emerge regarding it, but not yet. So, sure. oh, some, some, something I can go and run off and ask. Uh, ask Adam about that. They've, they've, they've got talks about every two weeks. Uh, there's none in August, but the, the final talk of all is on the 30th of October. I went to one um, 
last weekend, weekend before last, I think it was twenty uh, second of June. It was the one uh, about the Jewish East End. Oh right, with Jerry White. With Jerry White, uh, Ian Sinclair, Rachel Lichtenstein, and and Bill Bill Fishman. Was uh, that good? That was that was very good because there wasn't a, not much about Jack the Ripper in it. I think the only person who sort of really mentioned him to an extent was um, Ian Sinclair because of his mm. his novel. But um, each one had a different take on the East End. Um, so it wasn't just about the Jewish East End because uh, Ian Sinclair was talking about how he, he walks around it and finds all these different, you know, semi-mystical things in it or just just the, the sort of his personal history of being around it. You got a lot from Rachel Lichtenstein about her sort of personal um, quest to find out her history, her, her Jewish history in the area, and how she found out um, about the area and various places from her own uh, sort of quite a human story. And then you had Bill Fishman, who who's he's, I think he's coming up to about ninety now, um, wow. who gave a, a wonderful account of the Battle of Cable Street, which he was at as a, mm. as a fifteen-year-old boy. And, and Jerry White gave a sort of an overview. And mentioned about Rothschild buildings and things like that, which he's obviously written the book about. And it, it was good. And there was a lot of discussion um, afterwards. But they each one had their own sort of angle on it. And uh, that, that, was, that was very good. I was glad I went to that one. There was a few uh, people from the Whitechapel Society were there as well. Um, and I enjoyed it. Yeah, it was, it was good. Yeah. I really wanted to go to that one because I'm a great admirer of Jerry, Jerry White ever since I read Rothschild's dwellings and and his london in the 19th century is uh, yeah that's available in paperback now is is, is an excellent book so it was it was a good um it was a, it was a good thing it was um these discussions that that they are hosting then um do um um in large part make up for some of yes. the um drawbacks of the exhibit itself then because um although you know you have to pay to see every uh discussion you'd like to go to separately but Uh, that's that's not strictly true i've been to one of the lunchtime series and they're completely free oh really Mm. yeah oh that's good um so that it's a it is it is uh pretty cool that if if you uh are interested in the subject and want to learn more than what the exhibit had to say, you, you can attend all these different discussions throughout the length of the exhibit on all those various topics and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Certainly the lunchtime one I went to, I think the majority of the audience do actually remember Jack the Ripper. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, the, good, the good thing about the, dis- the, um, the talks, <clears throat> I think, is, um, is the fact that they have a discussion at the end, which is quite nice. Instead of you just sort of sitting there getting a lot of information from those who know, um, you can actually engage with them afterwards, and you get quite a lot, a lot of time. And I think that's quite a nice idea. So, you know, when issues come up, people can actually talk about. Uh, when I was at the Jewish East End one, there was uh, the guy from the Jewish East End. Oh, I can't remember what it's called now. The Jewish East End Society or whatever. Uh, Clive, who was talking about the closure of Bancroft Road library so he yeah. sort of brought he brought that up and you know that, that all the all the um speakers have obviously used bancroft road and we're all a bit ooh, you know so they were um so he brought that up you know to the general uh to the people that were there so yeah it's just, it just gives a, a platform for people to sort of talk about certain things on rather than just 
sitting there soaking up a lot of information. I don't want to to, to sort of. I, I, I get. I'm getting the feeling that we're kind of drawing to the close, really, at, at the moment. I don't want us to go away from this with a feeling that this exhibition was a is a bad exhibition. I think it's a good no. exhibition. In, in fact, no, in no, it is good. Yeah. It's, and it's uh, in many ways it's an excellent exhibition it's just easy for us to be able to pick holes and say well they should have done this they should have done that and all the rest of it and 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 yes if they had consulted more with uh with people then uh, the exhibition would probably have been better than it is but uh, or it would have taken different directions than the way it is but yeah. of course it's always very easy when you've got the thing complete and sitting there to to improve on it whereas when you're trying to think i remember when they're saying well what should we have in the exhibition it was kind of when you go just go turn up cold and you get this put at you, it's, it's, it is kind of difficult to to conceive of how you're going to how how it should be done. And so I think they did a really good job. The book was a was a major letdown um, because it wasn't about Jack the Ripper. But, uh, um, for me, who did spend the money to fly across, and that was one of the reasons I went back to London, besides to go to O'Bailey and and O'Bailey and a. a a couple court trials. Uh, it, it was worth my my eight quid to get in. Uh, I, I learned some new things out of. It. I came out with a bunch of notes that weren't necessarily related to the Ripper, but were related to the time period. So, no, I you know I could see where they could have tweaked it, but in general, I've seen far worse exhibitions. So you know I, I would have no objections even for somebody on the U.S. side who would spend the considerable amount of American dollars to get over there. Uh, that it, it would be worth it, worth the trip definitely. Well, I think um, everybody's in a consensus that it's uh, worth the money to go see. And um, like uh, our listeners have heard, some of our guests today have gone more than once. So um, we will wrap up the show. I want to thank everyone for being on. And that was RipperCast, Episode 21, Jack and the Docks. Joining us today was Jana Oliver from Atlanta, Georgia, Philip Hutchison from Guilford, and John Bennett from North London. I'm Jonathan Mengus from Topeka, Kansas. I want to thank our co-hosts today, Paul Begg and Maidstone Kent, Ali Ryder in Virginia in the USA, and Mike Covell in Hull in the UK. We are a weekly podcast on Jack the Ripper and the Whitechapel murders, available at the iTunes Music Store in the podcast section under History, keyword Jack the Ripper, and our website is www.rippernet.com. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week.